This is Always Remember The Mod State Podcast And now, your hosts Always Remember Others may hate you <sighs> Alright, ladies and gentlemen Welcome back to the Mod State Podcast I believe this is episode 258 I don't know, who cares If you want an asterisk or not It's still not quite um, 300, so I don't have to keep counting but, uh, yeah, here we are. What's up, man? How's everything? Can't complain as far as personally goes. Uh, back, back in the Gulf South to see the family. Excellent. Um, and of course, it's it's always good to come back here for some some robust <laughs> discussion. It's, yeah, and uh, Mardi Gras kind of has just begun and over and without much fanfare, huh? There was no Mardi Gras. Yeah, that's a shame. Not of any scale. You imagine um, when more people are vaccinated, and it, like there's a 2022 Mardi Gras. Yeah, the baby boom the following November is going to be unbelievable. Yeah, baby making. Um, think, think about that. What's that? Think about that. Yeah, it's like deployment babies. Yeah. Oh God. Which are real. Um, all right. Well, before, look, we got a ton of stuff to talk about. Um, and so let's, let's just dive into it. But first I want to thank all of our listeners who keep sticking around in these crazy times. Uh, I once, um, poorly hypothesized that it might be kind of boring if Biden won. Uh, this was a hypothesis and inference, uh, several months ago and boy, uh, was I wrong. So thank you for sticking around for that. And we, for our listeners across the globe, thanks for tuning in to listen to what's going on in America and abroad. And for those who are listening domestically, um, keep hanging on. Um, hopefully there's a light at the end of the tunnel here. Uh, but as always, head over to modstate.com for more op-ed and opinion pieces. Um, and Jesus Christ. Um, yeah, we're good. Uh, my... The studio is fairly empty, and there's a um, outside is the bedroom, and I left the door open, and so my husky is taking advantage of the open door, is on the bed, rolling around, enjoying himself. So that's what that barking is in the backyard, in the background. He's a, a perfect little fiend, and you know it. Jesus, he's he's uh, special. Um, he, he went to the school for the gifted. No, oh, maybe, maybe, maybe that's where he went. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, uh, alumna. So yeah, here we are, uh, off caught off guard by uh, a howling dog, but we're back on track. So I think, um, in in wake of the typical educational bazaar uh, and main body, I think we'll talk about something educational, and then I mean, there's enough bazaar stuff that fills uh, into the main body of this as well. So, um, but. The educational piece that I thought was at least worth noting and, and was interesting is the uh, discovery of the deepest shipwreck, and this is off geographically located near the Philippines, was sunk during World War II in about 21,000 feet of water, uh, and a private expedition that was actually manned found the wreck and were able to take photographs. However, it was to my understanding that they did not publicly um, present the GPS 
location, but rather gave that to the U.S. Navy so that they could um, do what they would like because it sounds like there are uh, the remains of World War II um, Navy personnel. So um, kind of a neat find and, and interesting to both see that part of history in the United States, but also um, seeing private companies and really push the boundaries in science of where we can go. Uh, because I find it interesting that the uh, bottom of the oceans is less explored than, like, the moon, for greater sense. It is crazy. Isn't it? I mean, there's no telling what they're going to find down there. I mean, they, they might find Jimmy Hoffa and Elvis. I don't know. But, I mean, the, 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 just the craziness. I mean, think about it. some of the creatures we discovered in prehistoric ages just floating around deep down there. I think the bottom of the ocean freaks me out for far more than the idea of like space. If you told me Absolutely. you had to go to space and maybe I should be, um, maybe that's an irrational fear. Like humans are really horrible at calculating risk. And so maybe I'm calculating risk way wrong, but I feel like both places are super dangerous and there's no margin for error. However, the bottom of the ocean, there's things that can eat you as well. Right, I was going to say, in, in space, I mean, I know no one can hear you scream, but we haven't run into Xenomorphs yet. You know, uh, I, that was my first thought was, well, in the ocean, something can make me suffer for X amount of time in the space. I, I mean, what, there's only so many deaths, and none of them seem to be slow. Well, yeah, but I feel like the one variable underwater is you either die instantaneously from that thing that's eating you, um, or it would be probably an equal quickness of death, right? You're basically... The drowning. pressure would kill you. Yeah, I mean, the pressure would kill you in both situations, right? right. And um, you both... Or if that didn't happen, you'd still have oxygen deprivation and asphyxiation. So um, I don't know which one would be worse. I feel like... I don't know. Hopefully we don't have to find out either one of these. But, yeah, I'm not going to either place. Yeah, so we just segued. Uh, we managed to segue it. We managed to segue from making the discovery oh, of <laughs> discovery of a, a naval warship off the Philippine uh, Filipino coast um, into a bizarre discussion of whether or not a space death or an underwater death would be um, deep water on um, Brilliant thing. Okay. Well, Jesus Christ. Let's move on to the next segment. Um, bizarre. The dog's into it. Yeah. No, he's here. He's off of the bed. Um, so hopefully he doesn't serenade us with his opinions on um, Matthew Gates. Oh my gosh. This guy, dude. Okay. Drum any- roll, please. Okay, so for the uninitiated, um, Matt Gates is a 38-year-old Florida congressman. Uh, elect- Florida man. Florida man. Um, he, you know, if you look at the guy, I'm not going to lie. Like, I'm not trying to judge him based, based on his looks, but. You are, though. Ah, boy, man. The guy just, I don't know, whatever. Uh, I'm not saying he doesn't deserve it, but let's look, get real. You I are mean, judging. His, his, his appearance um, is not what makes him guilty but it certainly is not going to help him in a court of law. So uh, federally elected congressman from Florida who has been elected from a very, very staunchly conservative district. His father 
was a former leader in the state Senate, uh, the state legislature in Florida, um, fairly wealthy by all accounts. Um, the story kind of broke. New York Times released an article that basically said that uh, um, Matthew Gates was under investigation for potential child trafficking. Um, and it was kind of a crazy allegation. One of those, it's like, all right, even I would stop and go that. I'm, I mean, not, not shocked, but that's a hefty allegation for a federal congressman. Um, but then he went on Tucker Carlson and the, inter- oh, I wish I had that clip. the interview could not have been worse. I mean, in terms of political performance and how it affected one's uh, inverse political or corresponding political capital, can you think of an interview that did more damage to a U.S. politician in our lifetimes? Uh, well, I mean, if it, if it becomes as bad as it sounds, it will be the worst interview that any politician or the most damning interview that any politician's ever given. Because even the Bill Clinton perjury, that, that was... What was that on a grand jury? That wasn't the press, right? No, no, it was per- No, it was perjury. Because again, you can lie to the press. Well, right. That's what I mean. Wasn't it before a federal grand jury? Yeah. And- okay. So, but that in the long run appeared to have done him no lasting harm. No, but uh, unlike this situation, which I mean, it, there's just so much. Uh, this is not a what about us. No, no, no. I understand that. I understand that. No, this this was un. This was completely voluntary on his part to go and Tucker, Tucker Carlson and just talk about the ex the extort. Okay. So, um, to set the backdrop, uh, basically in this interview, uh, Matthew Gates came out and said that he, uh, was basically being, he's basically being extorted by a former DOJ official, um, that could make this entire investigation go away for $25 million. So he was trying to, he, he was trying to downplay the allegations, which is what he's under investigation for. Um, and, and a, almost, or, or could have, by telling Tucker Carlson all this stuff, could have undermined an invest, ongoing investigation into extortion. Yeah, if that um, is the case, like, way to go. Yeah, so, which is, apparently his dad wore a wire, um, so he basically threw his dad under the bus. Um, to over, just to overshadow the, the actual allegations that he paid, and it has come out that he actually paid for, um, he paid women money on cash apps that show give you a digital receipt um, instead of just paying for cash like every other smart rich asshole um, so he left a paper trail so it's basically confirmed that he actually used some of these sites as a sugar daddy uh, but what probably is more to follow is whether or not he actually had sex with underage girls namely like 17 year olds which he tried to throw Tucker Carlson under the bus about going to dinner um, with him and his wife, and that was all weird. Yeah, with that unknown, with the unknown woman, and Tucker Carlson was like, "What woman?" Yeah, he's like, "Yikes, bro." Um, it was but, the best part. Uh, so, uh, so at the end of the day, um, it's unbelievable. It's crazy that the guy. Well, get to the, you know, the other part about the seventeen-year-old, uh, like he, he denies she exists. Oh, yeah. Um, and and also bringing up points about not having pictures with underage prostitutes and stuff. I mean, it just was like a dumpster fire and it was one of the greatest Tucker Carlson segments 
I have ever watched. If he had a show like that every night, I Mind would watch. I would watch it every night. But he's it, it was such special, a dickhead. Special from the perspective that it made Tucker Carlson squirm, like, and get off his script. I mean, Tucker Carlson's a royal douchebag, but Matt well, Gates, I, but Matt Gates, no, 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 let's... no, Tucker Carlson's a royal douchebag, but Matt Gates in that interview made Tucker Carlson look like a fucking, Mother Teresa. look like a fucking saint, and that's how bad it was, so if anyone wants to take that description and go look it up, that's how bad it was, anyway. There's more to talk about. I, okay, so look, I at the, at the end of the day, what I think a lot of people on the left find ironic about this cultural thing um, is that the, the entire group of people that Matt Gates was trying to court, the QAnon group of people in the conservative party, um, have a belief that the liberals are running some pedophilic, pedophilia cabal um, that exploit and sell children all over the globe. Um, and they, for some reason, meet at a pizza parlor, I guess. Like, it is so, and it's perpetuated by people, (laughs) it's perpetuated by people that have this sort of fetish, like a Matt Gates, if it becomes true, they, they are the pedophiles, like overwhelmingly. not pedophilia. Well, pedophilia, human sex trafficking. Yeah, the, um, point, the, the point to me is regardless statutory of what rape. I mean, like Jesus Christ, it's forget, forget what the name is. That I mean, it's outrageous to me. It's the entire thing, and and I, I see the point there. I mean, I very quickly the sort of thing uh, devolves into devolves into uh, what about isms, and that's that's not what I want to get. Uh, oh yeah, I, I agree. Look, you and I talked about this precast in that how do how do we we get here to the point where and I want to be careful how we how we put this because I know a lot of fine evangelical Christians, a lot of fine Protestants, whatever you whatever label you want to apply. But what's disturbing to me about this is that they'll for the most part stay behind someone like this. Why? I'm supposed I mean I, I'm predicting this polls won't collapse opinion just yet I think I think because of his close proximity politically to President Trump uh, to Donald Trump I think it, that's going to carry some of his water for him but that's what I mean the fact that someone else can tell you no no it's a great guy this is really okay when supposed to be carrying out the people's business the the guy goes to multiple colleagues from his own party to show them indecent photographs of women yeah. I mean, I, I think, floor. yeah, I think that there's a lot of, um, I think there's a lot of Republicans, um, that are caught in this incredibly right wing party. They're caught up in it and I don't think they necessarily want to be there, but I think that they really want their job. And so they, they, they say one thing, but, but play it, you know, they play one game, but in under, you know, behind closed doors, I think it's a different conversation. I really do. And I think this is a perfect opportunity for them to distance themselves from people like, um, uh, uh, you know, like Gates, who has had the ear of the president and, and really had a lot of influence. Who's worse to you, him or King of Iowa? Um, 
the Republican representative had to resign over basically being a white supremacist, near fascist. Yeah, um, at the very least. I mean, gosh, they're 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 both awful, but like at the end of the day, King has an ideology, and Gates might have trafficked a seventeen-year-old. Right. <laughs> I mean, there's right. there's a clear there's a there's a clear uh, there's a clear um, winner in my book of of depravity, if you will. I, I agree. I yeah. was just, I was yeah. just curious because I mean, I guess it you know it, it kind of chaps the ass of people who watched a really good senator and Al Franken leave because of a, a rather inappropriate photo um, on a on a tour across the Middle East, and you know I, I think it was right for him to be an example and and look you know this was wrong. I think a lot of people hated him to go and a lot of people called it out and said like, man, we are the real woke police right now. Um, just wait, just wait and watch the other side, not give a shit about some horrible stuff. And this is a perfect, come back right now. If he wants to, he probably could. And, but you know, then you have, you have a gate situation and a number of other ones like him. Well, I don't the want past to resign now. Um, I think it's. I think the reason I. I think the reason I feel the way I do is because he's walked himself into such a weird hole and a weird corner through just his interviews. But it's just kind of. I feel like it's emblematic of, of a way a lot of people feel about the GOP. And I mean, well, think about this though. I I also I made a back not towards you, but a backhanded point in general by saying asking about cans. Okay, so there was trafficant. Granted, yes, he was a Democrat, bad example, but as far as this level of depravity, I mean, those are the only two names I can come up with of sitting representatives. The issue for me is not that the GOP caucus there is full of people like this, but that the ones who are well-to-do and are just, as you put it, kind of painted into a corner due to political expedience, it's, it's time to kind of, this is a day of choosing, day for choosing. I don't know if you saw the article that uh, the op-ed that John Boehner wrote. It was good. <laughs> Boehner's back. It was on political. He ain't running for nothing again. He's making money I, in the marijuana business. I know. He's just, he's. I, uh, well, so he beats any, the current alternative, does he not? Yeah. I, I mean, gosh, I think Boehner sucks for a lot of reasons, but, you know, he'd be a welcome face, I suppose. If yeah, who sucks less? Uh, I mean, he sucks less than like Mitch McConnell. So, um, but let's, let's, let's move on. Isn't it sad though? Yeah. That's the game that is. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's move on from Gates. Uh, cause we can segue into something that I think we overlooked in the last episode. And that was a bit of the rumblings of the voter reform. And we're seeing, uh, the beginning of it at the federal level for sure. Uh, but we're certainly seeing more momentum and, and more is being talked about what is happening at the state uh, legislature level. And here in America, we saw a a very historic uh, election in Georgia where two Democratic senators for the first time um, were, uh, and then one man, uh, uh, African-American, was from Georgia was voted into the Senate. So very historic. And what you saw was this, and this <clears throat> was the backdrop of the steel, right? This is the big lie 
um, that right. I think will history will adequately um, will adequately describe it as it should be, and that is the big lie, and in some cases the big grift, as we're finding out that Donald Trump has been fleecing his own supporters. Shock of all shocks, um, with with well, it's each thing in its turn. Yeah, well, I mean that is a thing, but we can get back to that. Um, so the in response to this massive fraud with absolutely no evidence um, and continue to have no evidence to the point where Dominion, the uh, voting technology um, company, is now suing Rudy Giuliani, Trump, um, and a number of other um, entities for a tune of a billion dollars apiece, um, are used it to use this momentum to write some fairly draconious um, voter reform bills at the state legislature. So, for example, Georgia um, famously has passed uh, a bill that is supposed to um, restore confidence in the voting system by, um, for example, not being able to pass out water um, to anyone in line waiting to vote because they that's the only way they can and because they've shut down a number of precincts, um, the voting lines get much longer. So conveniently, they make it a crime to um, give water or food to anyone in line. I don't, I don't quite grasp that. Like, the, the, what does that accomplish? Well, what they say, well, I mean, it accomplishes exactly what they want it to accomplish. But the doublespeak or the, the, the selling point is that um, – that part of restoring confidence in security in elections is people not being able to sort of soapbox or campaign for a specific candidate while people are in line. And one of the reasons, or one way uh, someone could get around that is by passing out food or water in line. Um, and so what they said was, well, you know, in order to protect against that, we'll just ban, um, we'll, we'll ban food and water being sold to anyone or given to anybody in line while they're voting. Um, which, I mean, it's just kind of an insane bill. There's, it, it very much targets specifically uh, uh, minority communities. It makes really what I, I would, in a way, would say made the Georgia election so successful was the ease of access to being able to vote. And they really ripped that away. That that this undoes what sent uh, Senators Ossoff and Warnock. Warnock. Yeah, I mean, it very well could, but not by, not because it disheartens people, but because it actually does make it more difficult for people to vote. And I realize every counter argument to voting reform that, well, you need an ID for every single day. How hard is it to get? Look, it's not about just the ID. It's not, it is about, the, it's the ID and the water. It's the thirty thousand. Those two things yeah. combined is a bridge too far. <laughs> but I know, the, it's, I know. It's the thirty thousand foot view that it is. It is making. It is. Well, how can you possibly see an ID from that high up? That's true. Um, you got me. So I know. So so we have segued. See? We have segued from this. Um, so this is the reality of of Georgia now. It's been voted into law, and it's it's progressing in places like texas and arizona is it going to hold up at the supreme court um, you know i don't know it's it's interesting um you it's hard to tell with conservatives these days whether or not something will be upheld or not because 
you know, for example, you know, Georgia is is historically conservative. They're for states' rights. They're for power to the individual, liberty, et cetera. Yet they're the first people to really cut those rights for at least, you know, not everyone, for example, um, being able to have one of the one of the conditions or one of the, the writings in the bill in Georgia was that th- basically the legislature could just overturn the will of the people if they felt like they didn't like the outcome of the election. And they made that right. much more of a reality. And so this whole idea that, you know, um, less government is good is only, is really honestly, at least progressives are, uh, are, are consistent, right? Big government is not a bad thing. But in the conservative uh, arena, big government is okay when it fits what they want, right? And that's sort of the narrative that we're getting out of this. It's like, well, okay, well, if we can't have government, well, but hold on, if we don't like the outcome, we want to be able to overturn it. Um, uh, and, and so it, it, you see that. And now what you're seeing is corporations beginning to push back, regardless of whether or not they've actually donated to a lot of these candidates, are pushing back. Culture is pushing back. The Major, major League Baseball has left Atlanta this year in sort of protest to these laws. And the World Series uh, are... you see uh, Delta, American Airlines, Coca-Cola all pushing back. And now you have someone like Mitch McConnell, who's just telling all these corporations to just stay out of politics. Like, Jesus Christ, what? Pick, I just don't understand. It's so hard to, it's so hard to, it's like a, it's like a toddler, man. It's, there's no rhyme or reason to what it's doing. It's just going wherever the wind is picking things up, putting in its mouth, spitting it out, crying, pooping, happy. Like, what is the conservative party? What do they stand for? Or is it really turning out to be exactly what people have been talking about and predicting and, and informing us over the years? This is basically just a big fucking grift. It's liter- it, it is obstruct and consolidate power for a few. And I, like it's it's seeming more and more plausible that that is exactly what it is, when you can't even get a hold of what the actual conservative movement is. What does it stand for? And it's I, it's exhausting. I suppose if, if you're if you're going to to chase that, I again I'll say what I said precast. I'm not really sure that I'm I'm grasping the the how these two are on parallel tracks. Regarding corporations, yeah, uh, I I think the thing that I fear more than than the GOP right now because it's not going to last. The the some point that that gravy train can't go forever. I mean, Gates may in fact contribute to the end of that. I don't know, depending upon how bad this gets, because that's that's former President Trump's homeboy. You know, they they can't the the pictures and. And joint statements don't lie. Um, I I thought it was interesting uh, to point out here, though, the eight to zero decision made by the Supreme Court against both decisions. They combined into one case, but they were against Ford Motor Company. And I thought it was interesting to point out. Speaking of conservatives and being for corporations, it was a uh, eight to zero vote with Amy Coney Barrett. Uh, Herself because the case came up before President Biden was elected. Because um, again, I, I would need to have to see 
you know, as far as you offer two examples of, of corporations I, regarding polarities. I'd like to personally just do more of my own research on that, at least read the briefs or whatever is in, simply so I can give you a more educated response beyond beyond my overall policy framework. You, you see what I'm getting? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I understand. I think from a again from a higher level, just being honest here, yeah, from a higher level, uh, it it is just interesting to see how the GOP leadership sort of goes to bat for corporations over their own um, his own constituents by trying to bake into a bill that in the first go around back when Trump was president, uh, McConnell wanted protections for corporations so that they could not be sued by their employees for, let's say, unsafe working conditions. Uh, and that was really his main priority over his, his own constituents, really. Um, and, and so it's like you go to bat for them. Um, they're, they're really more important than your constituents. But then when they um, exercise their First Amendment rights, um, now they're attacked by the GOP. When that should, I, I, when that should be a, when that should be a fairly, uh, I mean that should be, that should be paraded by the. GOP. I want I want to see I want to see the text the summary I can find it on Congress.gov but I want to see I want to read more into that legislation because from a certain point of view and I'm not ta- I'm not agreeing with Mitch McConnell here I'm just saying I know more about it before I I agree with you but from a certain point of view who employs those constituents. And this is the most sue happy country in the world. You know, you can sue McDonald's for spilling hot coffee on yourself and when. You can fall through the skylight of a bank you're attempting to rob, break your legs, sue the bank and when. You can sue the federal government for you consuming a product for decades. Let's face it, nobody thought it was good for you in their right mind. You're putting fire in your lungs <laughs> and when. So I need to see the text before I just go, yeah, Mitch, Mitch McConnell's wrong here. Yeah, and I think we will follow up in the next episode. I think that's a great idea. I, I mean, I made a note of the Congress.gov thing, and I'm not being contrarian here by any means. But given my, my skepticism uh, that borders on uh, a certain amount of desire for tort reform, I, I simply am going to need to see a bit more. That's all. Fair enough. Um, so anyway... That was a long conversation of Nate talking about what's going on in various state legislatures and sort of the showdown between corporate America and a lot of these voting laws that are being enacted. So, um, trying to think, man, where do we get? We talked gates, we talked voting, we talked, uh, we talked infrastructure quite a bit on the last episode, um, and. Man, what else were we gonna? What, what's, well, uh, guide me on the outline. Well, no. Guide me on the outline that we had written down. Um, well, we one of the things we looked at was um, also discussing supply side economics because that kind of uh-huh. you 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 made an overall point that I thought was quite interesting. I'm glad you brought it up because you get to make it again. That's um, really good. Excellent. You you made the the point that, or and this is an opinion, folks. But that this is a, a greater sign, the unrest, the, the, the um, duplicitous and seemingly immovable corruption 
that appears to be replete throughout Congress, that's um, that's intertwined with review, as I understand it, as far as events go, the inevitable collapse of, I don't know if you meant all of capitalism, but... Ah, uh, uh -huh, all of capitalism. You're right. We were going to talk about Janet Yellen. That is right. Um, and I'm glad we got to talk about all the juicy details about Matt Gates and, uh, and those evil conservatives in Georgia. Because if you like, if you like econ, uh, you're going to want to stick around. But boy, if that just bores you to death, I'm glad you at least made it through the first 32 minutes. But I think this stuff is super interesting. And I think it sets the stage for what, a, what we've been talking about, I think, over the last couple months. Um, and so that is Janet Yellen, uh, who is Biden's Treasury Secretary. Former has, chairwoman of the Federal Reserve. Yep. So by all means, uh, an incredibly bright and <laughs> uh, expert in her field, has essentially proposed a sort of a universal global corporate tax rate. Now, what does that realistically look like? Well, realistically, that looks like the G20, which is... Realistically, that looks like paper that is printed and never done anything with. Well, I'm sure you're going to have a few things to say about this. I'm sorry, continue. No, no, no. I, I know you can... You get I'm sorry. Hot. You're getting hot. All right, but I like it. So, so whatever that tax rate looks like, it would be... I don't know if it'd be a treaty or what it would look like, uh, but essentially what it would do is it would tax that each country that would be part of presumably the G20 uh, would all tax these corporations the same. And, and in a way that it would be holding these companies accountable across the many nations that they conduct business and that the money that they earn also is returned in taxes um, that also the citizens of those countries pay and then will benefit from as well. Now, I know you had some immediate reluctance and skepticism, which I think is completely warranted. It's like, how, how the hell do you enforce this? I mean, the, who's going to administrate it, Nate? Who's going to ensure it. that everybody's fairly collecting taxes? I get it. Okay. I get it. But I also said that I do believe that when this stuff starts getting talked about at the level of the federal government of the United States of America, that it is a, it's the beginning for something that, you know, it might not be a global or like universal corporate tax rate, but it is a move to rein in or at least somehow figure out how to manage, for example, the top 1% of the world accumulating four plus trillion dollars over the last year while overwhelmingly the the life uh the lifestyle and the standard of living for a lot of people throughout the world has precipitously plummeted and i think that's i, I mean when you look at it at face value you'd be like man you commie you socialist but it is at a minimum I didn't say that. I know you're not saying that, but there's a lot of people that might say that. At a minimum, is an interesting exercise, okay? And I think that things like this are beginning to form this sort of new governance 
which is that FDR type of style, that Nixon, that Eisenhower governance, where there was more big government involvement, but that's just the cycle. And I know for a lot of people, that is, you know, one more cycle of big government and heavy government spending and increased taxes means 1984. But, uh, you know, that's, you, you could play that risk with a presidency like Trump, right? So it could go both ways. My point is, I think when you start to have conversations like Janet Yellen is having at this high of a level, that some sort of plan or some sort of policy will follow in the future that mimics something like that. And that is, to me, when I keep calling, people are probably sick and tired of hearing about it, but it really is the end of this sort of Reaganomics, small government, hatred of government era, where you will see an emergence of a bigger federal government that will be used, I think, in disproportionately good ways to build up the at least in America's situation will help bridge that poverty gap right will help build up the middle class again that will um, make it more affordable for families to for for couples to have families for uh, young people to buy houses and contribute to the economy there at a certain point it needs to be something else that helps that and if the current system isn't helping that, then there will be a new thing that will replace that. And, and I think you, we're so seeing think the answer is to get rid of the market economy. Nope. No, that's not what I said at all. Well, at you, all. You, said, you said that capitalism is in its death throes. No. So neoliberalism, neoliberalism and capitalism are, are Two different things. It's there's right. Two I, under, like, I understand right, that you like, also understand so that. The, so there's nothing. Thomas is not required to be a a pro free trade slash uh, anti border thinker. Yeah. Thinker. I, I guess. I guess I don't get. I don't get where. You, so I just talked about increased federal. Well, you talked about a lot. I, I did. I did. Yeah, but I don't know where you got and what I was talking about. Where you came up with the fact that I wanted to be done with capitalism. I. That's, no, actually, not you personally want to be done with it. You were. You made the observation that the status quo is ending. Yeah, but I thought I was. What I was clear about was that it's more of this FDR type model than the Reagan model. Right. So, so okay. that, but they both operated on the. They both operated under the construct of capitalism. Right. No, just, I, I'm not trying to split hairs or be snarky here. I was just trying to get a better grasp of where you were coming from. Sure. So, so um, any frame that I'm talking about that has historical context in the United States has operated under the the fundamental tenet of capitalism and the free market. It's just how big the federal government is. And, right. And I think that's right. what I think that's what the large part of the argument today is. Is how right. much, you know, like what what does that look like, and and then can we justify it, and does it actually do America good, and I, th- and I think what I can argue is that both systems do do America good if the if the timing is right, right. So well, we're already in what's called a mixed capitalist system. We're not we're not a, a completely free enterprise uh, laissez faire uh, system. Of course not. As yet. And we, I mean, for instance, we already have a public option in terms of healthcare. It's, there's 
several yeah, social security or um, medicare medicaid the va a lot of people don't think of it that way but that's what it is mm-hmm. um, it, it's it's misunderstood on a number of levels uh well what i will say is while i'm not a supply side economics thinker i'm not a huge believer in trickle down it does occur yes I, however um when i when i look at that it's really actually a tragic thing to me because unfortunately we'll never know at least as of right now we don't know what true capitalism is like and even a mixed capitalist system because you can have social programs have a mixed yes we have a social safety net a a robust social safety net uh, that in my view need does need to get stronger and we also have a, a private sector on the verge of such exponential growth that we're talking about having to raise rates for the first time in what 10 years or something yeah I'm sure we may have raised it once or twice by a small amount over the past decade but you see what i mean there's yeah. no significant movement fairly immaterial uh, so that kind of growth obviously the tragedy here to me is that we've never actually known a world you and i maybe no one has without crony capitalism this this business of no bid contracts which is exactly they're exactly what the name sounds like it's it's self you know it's kind of like the word smarmy you know you're talking about a jerk when somebody uses that word you don't even need to know what it means well so i i i guess at this point especially given where we are time wise i i'm not going to sit here and by any means um argue that i think federal programs are bad i just i just made that case um my issue and where it borderline becomes a moral issue to me not the republicans or you know god the democrats are going to hell whatever but in the sense that i am i'm all about rebuilding our infrastructure which is ranked 14th in the world um what i'm about is being able to pay for it yes and not, and not putting it on a younger generation basically a war debt that they can never afford to repay yeah. because as we talked about before the arrogance that u.s treasury bonds and the u.s dollar will remain the investment world's safest investment mm-hmm. respectively in their i mean that's how it's viewed yeah, for and, the most and, part. and so look i don't mean to cut you off but i i want to respond to that right and okay, i think i think it's because the side that's proposing all of this spending to sort of move away from neoliberalism into sort of this FDR style, bigger government is saying there is a way to pay for it and it will require. So here's the difference. And it's so crazy that one side, specifically the conservative side is so just wild about the deficit and just, just can't talk enough about spending is like you tax people to pay for it so you don't you pay for it right you I don't take out loans like you don't do tax cuts like bush and trump and then you don't get to complain about deficits from government spending because you actually have to borrow to pay for those programs okay so there is a path forward there's a path of course you can broadly increase taxes but you also can make corporations pay more taxes, expatriate all that extra money that's being all that money that's being held overseas that you've talked about and railed about comes home. Janet Yellen proposing the idea of maybe it's it's a fairy tale, but proposing a global um, corporate tax, like all of that are, are are clear cut solutions to 
paying for America and America's people and the people that will buy the products and services for companies that are making all this money. It's, it, it is not a crazy, it's been done. It's not a crazy framework. And, and so we don't have to borrow. What, what's, what's been done? I'm just, I'm just, you're not talking about the, the tax, right? No, you, you, you know, you impose taxes to pay for things. Okay, okay, okay. I'm sorry. For, for whatever reason, I thought for a second you meant they'd done the global tax. Well, oh, I no, guess the, no, no. Well, the, the British Empire probably did. Well, yeah, I mean, that caused the Revolutionary War. I'm, I'm just kidding. Um, but so, so, I mean, you get my point. There is, I, I, mean, do. Look, it, I will tell you, Pete Buttigieg went on Fox News and gave an absolutely. He slammed them. Well, I mean, I'm not. I'm not doing that Ben Shapiro weird caps and under. No, no, no. You know, you no. know the the social media. It, it ain't just Shapiro. People. Oh, oh I know. The, it's a... the stories of so and so slams. Yes, baby slams kitten. Blah blah. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, but he did a really good job of presenting. The... He was a gentleman. He was, and he did a really good job of talking to. Um, I mean, it's obviously the two hosts, but the Fox News audience writ large did a really good job of selling the infrastructure bill from like a conservative perspective. And, and, uh, and I think well, Pete, Pete, Mayor Pete's a, a, a moderate, definitely. In, in my opinion, he was the most centrist person, at least um, in the democratic race last go round. And it's unfortunate that a lot of people, a lot more people didn't get to hear his audience. I, I wouldn't have voted for him. I was, more than likely going to vote libertarian the whole time. But I think he might have been as far as sheer personality and charisma and willingness to OJT on the job training and make it work immediately. I think Mayor Pete was a brilliant pick by the president for yeah. his post. Absolutely. His infrastructure week has become a running joke in DC. Yeah. Well, okay. So I want to pivot here because I thought it was interesting. Uh, you said something and I, I want to ask you sort of a case study to wrap this all up um, from, because I've, I've been talking to a lot of, uh, you know, conservative men that have really strayed from the conservative party that is today, which I totally understand because they find it a bit confusing as of where that party went. Uh, and they kind of stray into this libertarian um, arena that really has a lot of great social res response, right? They, I, I believe libertarians res respond really well to social issues. It's just very much like you do what you want, I'll do what I want. Um, Laissez-faire. Yeah. Um, which is why it's interesting that progressives get along with libertarians all up until how we pay for it or who's paying for it or what control now, the government. For the most part, I mean, libertarians are, are social leftists. Yeah. However, I just had a question um, because there's a, there's a, um, like, okay, so how do, how is it that, and, and I think what I would want a libertarian to do, and maybe I'm asking you to do this now, is to talk through what you would do as a libertarian leader in the confines of the capitalist structure that we have today. Because when I always, you know, when I talk to libertarians, we have it. well, when I talk to, yeah, exactly. So you say we wouldn't have that. So always libertarians then are arguing from 
sort of this utopia, libertarian utopia, without really factoring in the true situation, right? Because in order for libertarianism to work broadly, is that you do need that sort of utopia capitalist structure that probably will never exist. So my my big ask that I've always asked libertarians is like, seriously, convert me. Because I'm I'm 75% of the way there. It's just on the fiscal policy and sort of the government involvement that you lose me because we'll never actually be able to operate under the confines of this perfect capitalist structure with libertarianism. So I feel, I fear that if we did have a lot of libertarian leadership under the confines that we have today of the capitalist structure we have, a lot of people would probably die. Um, it's because government, because business really does not give a shit. Corporate social responsibility wasn't created because corporations felt altruistic. That shit started happening because Nike was employing slave labor in Bangladesh. Like that's why corporate social responsibility happened. I'm not saying all corporations are evil, but like a lot of them have done some bad shit. So it's like how, yeah, like last- how how. How would you it work? Because right now, for example, in Florida, there's a little like phosphate byproduct dam that is poised to flood Tampa, greater Tampa area with 20 feet of water. And it's just mining sewage. Like, how does that? I'm not saying this is a Democratic or a Republican fault, but like, how do you hold corporations responsible? Like in a very conservative state, which leans a little bit more from sort of the business aspect of libertarianism, like that company filed bankruptcy and then they bailed and kept the taxpayers or the people on the hook to suffer the consequences. How does libertarianism account for that? Like, how is there an accountability? The law still exists and libertarianism is not anarchy. Um, No, I understand that, but there's probably less laws. Libertarians would probably argue less federal government, less laws, more freedom. So what laws do you keep that governs and has the responsibility, holds these corporations responsible and we can barely do it today? I think we, I think just like the issue earlier um, that we said we, what was it, um, that we hold on, we follow up on, I think this needs to be included in that because I, I mean, which department would you like to start with? I, I mean, mean the, 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 the waste is horrific in the federal government, and that's a broader issue here. Um, but again, to to synopsize, I didn't, I don't by any means oppose the social spending contained in the stimulus, and that the fact is the American people are hurting, and um, we need to make this intervention. Um, it, it's completely hypothetical, obviously, what you're asking me about libertarianism. A, I while I dabbled in it as a 17 year old, I'm a I, I'm a fiscal conservative as far as what I want long run. Um, but yes, in the short term, we, it, at least the next decade, we need a shot in the arm as far as it, the infrastructure does need to be healed. Uh, I just said healed. You know what I mean? Yeah, it, means, uh, yeah, it does. The, um, so the country's infrastructure needs healed. However, the idea that corporations alone have bloody hands, uh, it was the federal government that authorized the the seizure of Japanese-American property and they're being flung into uh, 
whatever sort of camp you'd like to call it, internment. Uh, yeah, that happened. I the Trail of Tears. That happened. Trail of Tears, yep. Custer's Last Stand. Yep. Yep. Took the federal government 30 days to get water to the Louisiana Superdome. Mm-hmm. It's, look, I'm all about being there for the American people, okay? But I personally would hold up the, if it was a talking filibuster, I would hold up the entire process until we had an idea, not just, oh, it's going to pay for itself, okay? So how do you, how do you, how do you propose, how, then how would, how, so if you're libertarian. Um, I'm not. Well, but, I know, but you said you would have voted. And so I, 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 I did vote libertarian. Yeah, exactly. So I'm asking. I didn't want to vote for either of, of what, the other two. What would your candidate, the libertarian candidate, have done when there was clear need for massive infrastructure development and a switch from fossil fuels? Because I, I believe libertarians are, are a smart bunch and they do recognize that at a minimum, it's probably better for all of us if we have a cleaner environment. Use flatter to deceive. Okay, so so look, we've gotta we've gotta do some infrastructure development. How does a libertarian go about doing this? Does is there a one time borrowing cash infusion? Like where does the capital raised? Is it just altruistic and everyone pitches in and and like I I'm like genuinely curious how we each bring a bag of quick crete and you know it, it's especially especially since uh, most of the people administering this, of course, will be white, you know, make sure and bl- bring along in the South your indentured servant and we'll chip away at it. And, and but, get but, but no, seriously, how, how do you, how, how, because what I'm proposing, again, we could filibuster to the end, but I would say, yep, yeah, we have a modest increase in the corporate tax rate. We actually tax corporations without having all this uh, loss of profit from, uh, carrying over as deductions, et cetera. And look, I work, for, I, I work for a corporation. I'm not, I don't, I want the corporation to make money because then I make money and I'm able to take care of the people that that's I'm what, supposed to take care of. But so I'm not saying corporations shouldn't make money, but I'm also saying from the wealthiest, uh, the wealthiest people in the world, corporations paying a bit more, like there is ways to pay for this. It's very, there's, it's, you don't have to borrow money. You pay for it. So that's my solution, at least for the short term. And then we can go back to whatever we were doing. But I have never really gotten a good, I'm really still looking for it. Where is, how do we do it from the other side? Libertarians would argue that we would not be in this mess. Yeah, but but we are. So then how do, how does the libertarian. You're asking a hypothetical, Nate, if libertarians But the libertarians have to run for office if they want power. So if you're the libertarian, not you specifically, but the libertarian candidate, the libertarian candidate has to explain to me, the American voter, how they get us out of this mess. Otherwise, why would we ever vote libertarian if they don't have a plan to get us out of this? Candidates get crowded out of debates. They're not allowed a runoff like you have in state level elections. If there was a runoff, I think it'd be different. Okay. But what is so? What is the argument? I'm and I'm asking you because. I just answered and, you. I, but I'm asking you because I and I'm I'm genuinely what makes me super frustrated isn't you. It's just that there is no, like there is no. I haven't heard a good conservative libertarian. Libertarians have never held power, so this is completely hypothetical. 
but I, I don't, but I don't you know don't what get elected. You as as but but a libertarian candidate doesn't. A libertarian candidate should not get elected based on a hype like a hypothetical scenario, or like just like oh we can't you talk the question, or like we can't man. talk about it because it's. Why would we put them in power? You why would, the question. But why would we put someone like that in power? Because I'm looking to alternatives to this. Okay. To, I'm Thanks. looking for alternatives. I think a lot of people are looking to alternatives. But if the libertarians can't even argue or give a compelling argument as how to get, a, get us out of the current mess that we're in, why would we even their vote answer, for them? Their answer would be, stripped down here, their answer would be the administrative state would be so minute that taxes would be so low that in the interest of making a profit that those corporations and pharmaceuticals wouldn't need subsidies. There'd be so much money hand over fist because of the, the zero barriers to entry into the market and the, so, the virtually zero federal presence. They'd be going, yeah, oh boy, let's so then, not let prices go to waste. Well, then who benefits from that? The corporate entity or? The world benefits from the vaccine, Nate. What do you mean who benefits from that? No, as far as no, I mean, what, their, incentive, their incentive is profit. I'm, I'm just answering you. No, I know, but that, that. again, that's still like, how does it help the average American? Because, yeah, I mean, Milton Friedman, a profit, shareholder profit overall. But is that like really going to make? Isn't that what we tried to start with Reagan? Like, does that really do not, work? Do you not think the American people would want the vaccine? What do you, what do you mean by the vaccine? I don't, know what you, I don't understand. You asked me what benefit that would be to the American people, why the corporations would do that. And it's, well, obviously for their own benefit to make billions oh. and billions of dollars, but the American people would benefit from the product coming to the market, don't you think? Yeah. Um, well, that would, I, I'm answering this from a libertarian hypothetical perspective. I, so, yeah, you but know what? what, I, what I will but, email yeah. this Joe Jorgensen. Do it. Because I would say, I would argue that. Well, it is a that government that government government spending, unlimited government resource is what, and not just the United States, but every major westernized country poured unlimited resources into vaccine development. That would not have been possible with corporations alone. There wouldn't be an incentive to do it. Well, it, we we don't know again because the market will look completely different without. Crony capitalism, because their argument would be. But we have with, crony capitalism. You have to talk about it under the confines of the structure we have. Yeah, Otherwise, you're asking. Wait, hold on. So you can ask a hypothetical question, but I can't give you a hypothetical answer. I'm not giving you a hypothetical question. We currently operate under a crony capitalist structure. No, no, that is not your hypothetical. Question your question to me was, what would libertarians do in this crisis? Yeah. Right? So that's not hypothetical. That is the crisis is real. Okay, but libertarian power is not Nate. But they want it, so they have to be able to talk to Nate. How they would respond to this? Like, what's the plan? I just told you, the market would be completely different. Obviously, but it, it wouldn't would be, be if they virtually got virtually zero oversight. Let's say libertarians took control in 2022. They have inherited COVID. They've in, oh, no, no, no. Hypothetically, let's say libertarians took control of the federal legislature, um, Congress. Like supermajority. Yeah, supermajority, two thirds. Super majority, two -thirds. Uh, okay. But I don't know the vice president. I, let's I don't just know the hypothetical. Let's resigned. not worry how it happened. Let's say it happened. 
but they still have inherited the reality of 500,000 Americans dead, a divided country, an economy that needs a lot of capital, capital infusion to stay afloat, and a lot of American suffering. That really happened. That continues to happen. How do the libertarians respond to it? Because we have, Biden, we, have Biden, we have Biden's plan. We, that's very clearly laid out. You, the GOP does not have a plan. They're completely obstructionist. Now, okay, here are the libertarians. That has nothing to do with what we're talking about. No, but how do the libertarians respond to that? Because cause there's a lot of guys, there's a lot of men out there, there's a lot of people that are being pulled to the libertarian caucus, the idea they're not associated with conservatism. But my, I've never really got a clear answer to how the libertarians would respond to this crisis. And that's what I'm asking. Okay, so... Like, what's their plan? How do they fix infrastructure right now? Because right now, like, I would raise taxes to pay for it. How would the libertarians I, do it? I think it's a... I think it's it's a it's a such a lofty question. It's in the stratosphere. I I honestly, I mean, I I can repeat what I what I told you before. But you're you're saying if they came to power in 2022. So I honestly, I'm not sure I can give you an educated answer on that. Um, I'll gladly, and I mean this because I think we we need to follow on with this. Um, I will gladly email Ms. Joe Jorgensen and the chair of the party and see if I can get some elaboration there. Because again, I. I borrow from some libertarian fiscal ideas, uh, but I do not, and, and some social ideas as well. I think there is some decent meat there on the bone, but they've also got some severe holes, um, such as, in my personal opinion, on regarding the abortion issue. I, I, I think their complete no involvement, even at the, uh, when the child's coming into the birth canal, there can, there's no law there. That's absurd. It's obscene. Uh, and frankly, it, it's, it's one of the more ignominious portions of their platform. Uh, with that, as far as a, an elaboration on what they would do here, I think it'd be interesting to see the response because I, maybe that's something that the libertarians, if they want to be taken more seriously, they should have a more uh, evolved platform. I agree. But I go back to without a federal runoff, uh, they, the, the Democrats and the Republicans both in virtually every election collude to ensure that a libertarian candidate is not on the stage for the presidential debate. You know, and again, dead horses that we're reviving here, but uh, the Smith-Munn Act has made it so that the media is not going to, they're not going to run that story. You know, they, so it, it's, it's more, I know that doesn't answer your question. I'll I will make the communications and do the research, but there's more here than just, oh, the libertarians aren't taking themselves seriously. Look, yeah. and, it, and this wasn't, I, I, honest to God, I, this was not meant to be an I got you. And I, I'm not, I know you're not a libertarian, but you obviously know more about it than I do. And so I, I just, and because you said, you've, you've mentioned a number of times that you voted that way. And, there wasn't a lot of alternatives. Well, I'm not. I'm not blaming well, you for that. I mean, there weren't a lot of alternatives. But it's just interesting. Uh, it's just interesting the way you talk and the way you are as a Nixon Republican. You're so much more aligned with Biden, and 
in, in in the hist- history, I think of of a lot of your political idols, and it's just it's it's interesting to shift more like libertarian. And so I apologize, I, like I definitely pressed you on it, but I I'm just no, I'm like, legitimately curious. Are you are are you saying that I've shifted libertarian? No, no, no. I'm just saying it's interesting that you would you would sort of espouse or you'd be like I'm going to vote for them. Right over someone where I think someone like Biden, in all reality, with your your sort of political idols, aligns so much more closer to him than than any libertarian candidate like a Rand Paul. So I just think well, it's I think it's interesting that you can you're able to move in between those sort of two political spheres of influence, uh, and that's why I'm just so curious as to trying to figure out what what. You know what the, because again, like with the GOP party, I have not heard a good plan to help us get get Americans back on our feet. There is none. <sighs> As of right now, it's it's power. It's just the, the pure and unadulterated. So is that like a is that like an power. agonal is that like an agonal gasp? Because it's like we don't have any plan. We're going to obstruct, but we're also going to go down fighting by cr- flaring up culture wars. Like what, I mean, is that just the strategy? And I know, I come, I think it, this is probably more frustration. It's not, it's not me. I'm not You're like, I'm not like, I'm not like calling you. I'm not lumping you into any of this. I'm just, I'm, I'm more that's, or less just. Good. <laughs> I'm glad that you're not. Is it, you know, the, the, the thing is, it's, this is rhetorical. You're frustrated. I, the reality is I, I get called a rhino and I didn't move. The party left me. There is no overall overarching plan. There are very, very, uh, from a neutral perspective, beautiful schemes. Okay. Um, Mitch McConnell is one of the best tacticians in modern political history in any country, any state, any province. I'll give him that. Um, so it it was, that wasn't meant as, as some sort of, hey, I, I love the guy. But I, I think we've reached such a juncture where this sort of conversation, we sit and we go, did this really happen? It's, and also, I'll remind you something I said a ways back when discussing why I voted for President Trump in 2016. And I said, you know, there's good bad and the ugly you know it the reality is it was more a vote against hillary clinton than a vote for donald trump for sure uh, same thing in 2004 the first time i was able to vote um i voted against john Kerry. Uh, 2008 i really i didn't know which way i wanted to go i i was coming through a, a rough time in my life uh, in a couple of areas, and I know, boohoo, but I, I, so I couldn't really make the call, so I voted for uh, Bob Barr of the Libertarian Party. But again, that was more of a uh, uh, peaceful protest vote than anything else. Uh, 2012, the the decision was easy for me, and, uh, and that was a vote for Governor Romney. So now we have my full presidential voting history, and I know. I have a pretty good idea uh, 
the letter in parentheses next to the names of the people you voted for, right, Nate? Um, for me? Yeah. I voted for... <clears throat> well, I, no, I actually, I voted for, I voted for conservative presidents and uh, for Democratic you, presidents. You voted for, for W? I did, yeah. I was 18 years old. I voted for W. Wowzers. So, um, I'm just kidding you, man. No, no. And I, I voted for, um, I voted for Obama, um, when I was in nursing school and spent a lot of time working downtown and, and, and it was really amazing to watch him inspire communities that for otherwise felt so that felt so, yeah, that felt so marginalized, um, that uh, one figure would instill so much hope in them and rekindle the hope that so many other leaders, um, gave them so many years ago and it was a no-brainer for me um and 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 so yeah my political look i mean my political views have have certainly shifted over the years i think me every i think i think every year that i spend in healthcare, unfortunately um i wouldn't fortunately i wouldn't say unfortunately I, i wouldn't even categorize that other than the fact that the more time i spend in healthcare, uh the harder it is um, for me to, um, um, to to ab- abandon a group of people, um, or, or or like healthcare in general, um, making it so unaffordable is es- essentially abandoning its citizens, and I think that's a harder view for me to right um, to to move away from the more time I spend in in this industry, um, which doesn't mean hey man, which doesn't mean I, I don't think you shouldn't make profit. You know, it's, I, I just don't, it's sort of this whole, Matt oh, Gates, no. you know, it's sort of this whole Matt Gates thing. Um, someone said, someone oh, forgot to tell, God. no, someone forgot to tell him that you can be a victim and also victimize, right? It's not black or white, you know, and that's the same thing with business and helping people. No one said that you can't have profit and, and do a better job at helping American citizens. I think it's insane that, all these different type of platforms, it's also black and white. It's like just business, no government, or it's, uh, you know, uh, th- there is no um, balance, I guess. Or, so. <sighs> Absolutely. I, and I want to be clear, folks, Nate, Nate and I, we, we do this, not just precasting, but tax call throughout the week, whatever. And a lot of the, the jabs that we, we poke, we're joshing around as, you know, is trolling each other. So, um, but as far as the, the policy issues, I completely agree with you in the sense that it's, it's great to be able to go, hey, we've, we've both got financial, well, I'm still in the midst of mine, but we, we've both got financial education at the collegiate level. And it's interesting to see that uh, things start playing out in the quote, real world because in finance and economics classes, and I suppose in uh, accounting as well, excuse me, um, we make use of the term called uh, ceteris paribus, which is all things being equal. Basically, it's forecasting. It's akin to meteorology in the sense that, yes, you need the knowledge so that you can be aware, recognize signs of what is possible. But the truth is, there is no there's no way that you're going to, for instance, like uh, former federal chair Alan Greenspan said that he was he intended to write a book that would tell us what to do in every single uh, economic situation federally. 
And then he did end up wisely abandoning the work. He said, well, I just, I guess it's not possible. I'm going, no, no, sir. I don't, I don't particularly think it is. No, because every, you know, a good economic theory on how to fix something can be thwarted by its, the political intentions behind it. So So let's do this. Let's let's. start at the beginning and we come to the end. Stop. Yeah. But no, but seriously, let's do our contact. contact. I'm sorry. No, I, I said, I'm right there with you. I think you have your homework, not because you don't know, but I think that we should actually go to the source to figure out the party's platform on, on COVID response. So I'm, I'm going to email yeah. the the former presidential nominee, uh, the Libertarian Party. I'm going to email the current chairperson. Uh, with obviously there's a there's an array of issues across the spectrum. Indeed. Um, but I also <laughs> I also think that we should uh, both ourselves perhaps do um, like a a page two tops of what you and I would personally do okay. if, if we were president. And I think that's something we can whoop up pretty quickly. I'm I kind of inspired to, to sit down and hit All it right. myself. When, once our beautiful discourse for the evening is, slash morning is, is done, and well, every time I'm, go, I just... I'm going to be taking a little R&R, so that might be the right time for me to sit down and bang out a few key points. So... Mm-hmm. Actually, I, I, that's a very good choice of words. So anyway, um, as always, my friend, it's an honor and privilege to do this with you uh, week in and week out. Um, nice. Love and, you, man. And certainly um, love the conversation and debate. So uh, until next time. Au revoir. We'll see you.